Welcome to the Friday edition of Transformation Radio. younger a strange connection to the light I tried to satisfy the hunger I never got it right I never got it right so I climbed a mountain and built an altar looked out as far as I could see I'm getting older I'm running out of dreams I'm running out of dreams But your love, your love The only thing that matters is Your love, your love That's all I have to give Your love is enough To light up the darkness It's your love I have given And you know exactly what it cost And though my innocence was taken Not everything is lost Not everything is lost But your love, your love The only thing that matters is Your love, your love Get up, try to find some of the smoke and 
looking all dirty, I would be broke all the time. I got tired of it, tired of it, I tired of hitting my brother's mouth. Tired of that too, man. Coming refugee, I just tired. Saw another life. I got, got getting too old for it. I'm getting too old, I had my own place. I was with my kids, I still run the street and stuff. I just got tired of it. And, um, Love to change my mind, feel good, feel better. I don't think about no crack no more. When I feel healthy, I can read and write a little bit better. And talk a little bit better. A lot of things will be better. I used to buy all the time, all the time, but I love this. I understand the word, but now I don't understand what you're talking about. And I met him one day. Jesus has been in my life since now. I hope he stay with me. Be a better man. And that's it. How you doing? I'm Greg Durth, I'm 38. I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. I've been in the refuge for, for uh, about five months now, and it's the best decision that I've ever made. Uh, um, I'm, I'm completely transformed, and, and I'm ready to do God's will in my life. Um, you know, I, I struggled with, with cocaine. Uh, I struggled with alcohol. Uh, I was making all kinds of bad decisions in my life, and I believe that this is the best decision that I've ever made, and, and I want to continue to stay in God's will for my life. And now we begin our reading in the New Testament for today. And our reading takes place in the book of Acts, chapter 8, verses 14 through 40. Here's what's going on there. The death of Stephen seemed to be a defeat for the church but it resulted in some great victories for the Lord. Wherever the believers went, they shared the gospel, and many trusted the Savior. Stephen's witness made a tremendous impression on Saul and was instrumental in his conversion. Hey, never give up when the enemy seems to be winning. It may be your finest hour of victory. Like Stephen, Philip was a deacon, who was also an evangelist, and God led him to witness in Samaria to people hostile to the Jews. The coming of Peter and John and the giving of the Holy Spirit linked the Samaritan believers to the saints in Jerusalem, and the ancient division was healed. The way to turn enemies into friends is to make them brothers and sisters in Christ. In times of great blessing, wherever God sows true seed, the devil sows a counterfeit. You can just count on it. Like Peter, we must be alert and exercise real discernment. Philip left a great harvest to talk to one man. But you see, that is the mark of a true servant of the Lord. We must go where God sends us, do what God tells us, and then leave the results with Him. And now let's begin today's reading in the New Testament. June 12th, the New Testament, Acts chapter 8, verses 14 through 40. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
Then Peter and John laid their hands upon these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, Go south, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under the Kandake, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go over and walk along beside the carriage. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, Do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, How can I, unless someone instructs me? And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this, He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So, beginning with this same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. And they went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there, and in every town along the way, until he came to Caesarea. Today we're reading Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. As you ponder this psalm, see yourself in four different situations and learn what it means to trust the mercy of the Lord. See yourself in the depths. The depths of despair overwhelm you. You're drowning, and all you can do is cry out to God. Well, He hears and He rescues you. And as you read through this psalm, see yourself in the court. You are on trial, facing your sins, and you have no defense. The judge pays the penalty, and you are forgiven. And then see yourself on the block. Yes, you're a slave, bound by your own sins, and you're about to sell yourself to a terrible master. But the Savior comes, 
and purchases you and sets you free. What a wonderful salvation you have. Psalm 130, verses 1 through 8. A song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. From the depths of despair, O Lord, I call for your help. Hear my cry, O Lord. Pay attention to my prayer. Lord, if you kept a record of our sins, who, O Lord, could ever survive? But you offer forgiveness that we might learn to fear you. I am counting on the Lord. Yes, I am counting on Him. I have put my hope in His word. I long for the Lord, more than centuries long for the dawn. Yes, more than centuries long for the dawn. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is unfailing love. His redemption overflows. He himself will redeem Israel from every kind of sin. Proverbs 17, verses 2 and 3. A wise servant will rule over the master's disgraceful son and will share the inheritance of the master's children. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but the Lord tests the heart. Careless I am reckless I'm a wrong way Traveling slowly Unraveling shell of a man Bird out I'm so
I'm trying so hard to stop trying so hard. Just let you be who you are, Lord, who you are in me, Jesus. I'm trying so hard to stop trying so hard. Just let you be who you are. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Pray. Uh, Jesus, thank you for just your word. Thank you for loving us for inviting us to be in relationship with yourself. And I just want to encourage each of you as, we, um, as we're here, if you're a follower of Jesus, just begin to pray your own prayer. Just ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. I um, just really uh, was encouraged by the music. Also, just uh, challenged just as we, as we have this rhythm of gathering week in and week out, just that, God, you would continue to bring clarity to why you've called us here, to what you're calling us to, um, truly, that, that each one of us that would bear the name of Christ, that we each 
have a mission, and that is to be witnesses of you, to share um, what you've done in our lives, to bring joy and hope um, in, in the gospel to those around us, to be committed to, uh, to a local church, to be in accountability with other Christians, to be willing to, to share life with, with others. And God, this is a high calling. It's sacrificial. It's difficult. And God, you've placed us in a unique place, in a unique time. And so just bring clarity, bring peace. There's just great people in this room, good friends, new friends. And Lord, you're truly um, leading us towards somewhere. And I just pray that we would be willing to bear that cross, whatever it may be, and that we would do it for your glory. Just speak to us through your word tonight. Amen. Thank you, Wes. It's always fun and awkward. Um, well, the first thing I want to do is invite you to a couple things. Um, but before you, so go ahead, keep your Bible open to James two fourteen through six twenty six. But I want to invite you again to Four Columbus and to the block party that we're ha- having. And so, uh, Four Columbus is an event taking place here Monday through Wednesday, June eighth through tenth. Um, and that's uh, going to be from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., so it's a little over a week away. What we're going to be doing during those days is some service projects around the church, um, outside the church, but also in the building. And then it's going to culminate in, uh, in uh, what we're having a, calling a block party, which is on um, June 10th, that Wednesday evening from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. And so really, um, it's our first official attempt um, as, a, as a whole body, as a whole church to connect with our neighborhood. And so it's really um, simple. The goal is simple, is just to, just to be in the neighborhood, to be for the neighborhood, to let the folks around us know that we're here and that we're for them and that they're welcome. And just to begin bridging that gap of, um, of people even knowing that we're here and kind of the, the idea is that we're not just a, a silo, a, a gathering, a gathered church that, that is separate from, from the neighborhood and that is ex- exclusive, that we want to welcome the folks around us here and we truly want to be a community for them. And so, uh, so really, just plan on being a part of that. Um, if you gather here, just as much as you could commit being a part of that. Rachel's going to come up at the end of the gathering and share um, more details of kind of the volunteer roles that we have. And so we would just love you to participate. The second thing I want to mention is uh, just plan on being at the gathering July 12th. It's going to be a big day for us. Um, at the end, it's going to be a, just a normal gathering, but at the end of it, um, Sunday, July 12th, we're going to have a, an hour meeting from 6 to 7. I want to share just with our folks some, uh, some new things that are coming, some changes. Um, not, change, not huge changes, but, but big enough to where um, I just want to prepare us. It's exciting. It's good. And so if you would just plan on being here Sunday, July 12th, from 6 to 7, we're going to have just an hour family meeting right here, right after the gathering, just so we can share some upcoming things and allow you to ask questions, and um, it'll be a good time. Cool? All right. Well, we're going to continue along in our Practical Theology series, and today we're looking at the book of James, and, and the title of today is Faith and Works. Faith and work. So next week we're going to talk about um, a theology of grace. And so Pastor Ryan um, is, going to, is going to bring that. But typically I think we gravitate towards kind of one extreme or the other. And so on one hand, you've got the person that says, Okay, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right? 
And then kind of as a maybe other extreme would be, you know, Jesus has died for me, so I can kind of just do whatever I want. And so those are maybe the two um, extremes within the church that people would gravitate towards. And I don't know what extreme that you find yourself in, or maybe you just kind of lean a little bit towards one of those directions, but I think this week and next will be helpful um, for us as a church. But today we're looking at faith and works. And so right away, James, which is Jesus' half-brother, he says this, or he writes, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? Big question, right? So what I want you to think to yourself is, have you ever met someone who is good at talking about something that they don't actually practice? One person. (laughs) Have you had conversations uh, with folks that are passionate about arguing ideas that they haven't actually experienced? And so maybe it's you, right? If you don't don't know that, if no one comes to mind, you're that person probably. And and the reality is, is that we've all done this to some degree. Um, But it's kind of annoying, isn't it? It's kind of annoying, and we've all done this. And so this, this is the dilemma being addressed, right? One of the big questions is, what does saving faith look like? What does faith in Jesus look like in action? What does it, how do we know it when we see it? What does a Christian look like? Is Christianity something that is just merely cognitive, what I think? Well, if I think the right things, I'm in. And if I think the wrong things, I'm out. Is that it? Is Christianity purely based on external actions? If I act pretty good, I'm in. If I act poorly, I'm out. And so everyone tends to emphasize one or the other. We tend to gravitate towards one or the other. And Dr. Wayne Grudem, he says this. He says, we may define conversion as follows. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. The word conversion itself means turning. Here it represents a spiritual turn, a turning from sin to Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance, and the turning to Christ is called faith. And so faith... We talk about faith all the time, but what I want us to see it as in our minds is when we say faith, we're referring to a turning to Christ. And know this, we are all turned in this sense towards something, right? We've been talking about this the past couple weeks. Joe mentioned this when he talked about worship, but we are all motivated towards a certain direction. For some, it's money. For for some of you, it might be a sexual relationship. For some of you, it's power or social status. But these things drive us motivationally to work hard or maybe to not work at all. But we must all realize that we're turning towards something. And most of us, if we're honest, we have a really difficult time um, dethroning ourselves from the center of our heart's affections. We're so committed to us. We're so committed to ourselves. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but we want glory. We want everything to be about us. We want everyone to make life convenient for us. And so when we say faith, what we're saying is, what we're talking about is a turning to Christ and a turning away from 
us as being the center of our affections, of being the center of what we want and what we need. That our grid is no longer what I want is what matters most to what Jesus says in his word and what he wants is what matters most. But is it merely, but then, okay, so we could agree on that, but then it, we're still left with kind of these questions as, okay, these questions of, is, is it merely cognitive? Is, it, is this merely found, or is it merely found in what I do and how I live? So is faith just an intellectual thing? Is faith, so, or is faith something that just happens in our hearts? Is it just something that happens in our minds? Do I just say, hey, God, yeah, I believe in you, thanks. And it just ends there? So what are good works? Read along with me. This, I found this to be really helpful. Dr. Frame, Dr. John Frame writes this. He says, what is a good work? Reformed theologians have addressed this question in response to the problem of the virtuous pagan. Reformed theology teaches that human beings by nature are totally depraved. This means not that they are as bad as they can be, but that it is impossible for them to please God in any of their thoughts, their words, or their deeds. So apart from grace, none of us can do anything in the sight of God. Yet, all around us, we see non-Christians who seem, at least, to be doing good works. They love their families, work hard at their jobs, contribute to the needs of the poor, show kindness to their neighbors. It seems that these pagans are virtuous by, by normal measures. Reformed theology, however, questions these normal measures. It, it acknowledges that unbelievers often contribute to the betterment of society. These contributions are called civic righteousness and come from God's common grace, which restrains their sin. Their civic righteousness does not please God, however, because it is altogether devoid of three characteristics. And so here, John Frame is going to describe for us what we would consider to be Christian good works. And he says, note the three necessary ingredients. One, a heart purified by faith. Two, obedience to God's word. And thirdly, the right end, the glory of God. And so friends, let's go back to the first part of our text where James says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? And so hopefully we're beginning to see that this is an interesting thing to examine, right? It almost seems as if James is kind of pitting or putting faith against works. Does God save me? Do my good works save me? What am I responsible for? What is God responsible for? These huge questions have plagued theologians for centuries. So is James, is he putting faith against works? Well, let's read on. He goes right into verse 15 and he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things need, needed for the body, what good is that? And so right after this, James, he's giving us this theoretical situation and basically he's saying, If someone comes to you and they say, Hey, I'm starving. And, I, and if I don't eat, I'm going to die. We shouldn't just pray for them. We should give them something to eat. So basically he's saying, you know, we, we shouldn't, our response shouldn't be, hey, I'm hearing you, and you know what I'm discerning? I'm discerning that right now, you should eat a meal. Someone's telling us they're hungry. You know what you should do? You should eat a meal. Yeah, you should go eat a meal. You're starving. Let me tell you, maybe you should eat something. Have a great day. Like, what good is that? Right? 
And listen, James isn't talking about the guy who's just wearing you know, clothes from Walmart versus clothes from the mall. He's talking about someone who's destitute, who's really going to die unless they're helped. Hey, you're freezing and you might not be able to make it through the night. You know what you should do? You should buy a house. That's, that's, that's really all the prophecy that I'm hearing today. Yep, that's it. Buy a house and get a job. Blessings, brother. Like, what good is that, right? What good is that? That's what James is saying here. So verse 17, he says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Wow. It's a pretty bold statement, right? Faith without works is dead. So right now, what we're beginning to see is that James is not divorcing faith from works. Right? He's saying, if you have faith... If you are a Christian, if God has redeemed you through Christ, then you will do good works. James is not disagreeing with the rest of the New Testament. He's not disagreeing with Paul. He's not saying that our good works save us from our sinfulness. No. What James is saying is that our good works are a diagnostic. And I'm going to unpack this. Our good works are a diagnostic. And so let me put it this way. I'm really dumb when it comes to cars. All right? I'm really dumb when it comes to cars. But I know that if something is wrong on my car, this little light will turn on in my dash. Showing my ignorance right now. Right? And so what I know is that that light is some sort of diagnostic that's telling me what's wrong and if everything is working properly or not. And so when all the little lights are off... Theoretically, I know that my car is running well. In the same sense, good works serve as a diagnostic. See, the little light that comes on in my car, it doesn't make my car run. And in a similar way, it's the same thing. Just like good works don't make me saved from my sin. But good works are a diagnostic. They help indicate whether or not my soul is healthy. So are you following this crazy, weird example? I hope so. It's my prayer. So James gives us this passive-aggressive analogy, which I love it. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So James is intense, man. So he's basically, he's giving us another theoretical um, example, unless he's being passive-aggressive, right? He's getting before the the gathering, and he's saying, someone might say, Bill, like, someone has said, you know, that that faith apart from work, that you can have faith apart from works, but he's saying, you're foolish. Don't be Bill. Bill, you're foolish, Right? And I love this line in 19. He says, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. This is intense. This is intense. In in essence, he's saying, you know some Bible verses. That's cool. Uh, You can recite some understanding of God and doctrine. That's fantastic. You know, you blend right into the group at church and have memorized parts of the Bible. That's great. So have the demons. Dang. Right? So do you, hopefully, do you hear what James is saying? He's saying, this isn't just about mental assent. 
Christianity isn't just about understanding stuff. Saving faith isn't just about being able to recite some things and check off a to-do list. I don't care. And what James is saying is, I don't care what you know about God if it doesn't mean anything in your real life. Right? That's like, and the only thing I can think of is, it's like if you started reciting all of these qualities about some girl and you led me to believe that you were like in a relationship with them and then come to find out you read her Facebook profile. Like, you're not in a relationship, bro. You're a stalker, and you need to get some help. It's kind of weird, right? Christianity isn't meant to be something we master, but something that masters us. We don't master God. We're mastered by God. It's, it's about a relationship. It's not just about some weird doctrinal knowledge where we know about God, but we don't know Him. That's weird. Our faith in God changes us from our, co- our core the core of who we are, if that's not the case, then we really don't have saving faith. And so some of us will say, well, it doesn't matter if I sin. God saves me despite my sin. Yes, but if that's your posture, if your sin does not lead you to repentance, if if you're, you're, you're kind of indifferent to your proclivity to just dwell in your sinfulness, and, and if you don't really care, Well, if that's the case, then the lights should be going off on your the dashboard of your soul, right? Something is wrong. That's not what saving faith looks like. Good works are a diagnostic. They give us an indicator to the health of our soul. So James says, show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. James is saying, oh yeah? Show me how that plays out. How did Jesus model faith void from works? Right? What if Jesus was like, yeah, I love you guys, and then he just peaced out and went back to heaven, left us in our sinful state. And so James is saying, I'll show you my faith by my works. He's not saying we save ourselves. He's not saying we have to earn our salvation. He's not even saying that we can lose our salvation. What he's saying is merely, this is what a true Christian looks like. There will be those, and he's basically letting us know that there's going to be those that bear the name of Christ that aren't truly Christians. That's what he's saying. Because he's saying this is what a Christian looks like. So just because we show up at church or say the right words at the right time, it doesn't necessarily mean that Jesus has changed our hearts. And so how do we know if we're saved? Well, are we believing in our heads and our hearts and are we living out what we believe? So we have to ask ourselves. Because I can't really tell you that. You have to ask yourself, am I, do I put my faith, am I turning to Christ, turn, and then am I repenting, like, like Wayne Grudem said? Am I, am I confessing of my sin and am I actually living this out in real life? Because good works are evidence that something may be happening in your heart. But remember what Dr. Frame said. He said, note the three necessary ingredients. A heart purified by faith, obedience to God's word, and the right end, God's glory. So there are three necessary and sufficient conditions of good works. Right motive, right standard, and right goal. So those three criterion is what makes up good works in this sense. And why we need to highlight that is because we can appear to be doing good works, but in fact, we can be doing them for all the wrong reasons, right? 
There's a way to do good things, but to be doing them for a personal benefit, or to put it theologically, to be doing it for your glory, to be doing it for my glory, to be doing it for myself instead of for God. And then he ends with this. He says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the, as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So James gives us these biblical examples of Abraham and Rahab not only believing God, but doing good works, but living in light of their belief. The Faith Life Study Bible says James is not saying that people must perform good works for God to accept them. Rather, he is asserting that an individual's true conversion will be justified by deeds of Christian love. Deeds are the proof, the diagnostic, right? The proof of conversion to other people. And they are the natural outcome of being faithful to God. Deeds demonstrate the validity of a person's profession of faith. True faith goes beyond mere verbal expression or our words. It manifests itself in action. So, the most controversial verse in this text is verse 24, which says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So some people will take that and they'll run with it. But then you've got Paul in Romans 3.28, and he says this, Paul says, for we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. It almost sounds as if they're saying the same The exact opposite thing. So are the Apostle Paul and James, are they in disagreement? Is this an example of how the Bible is inconsistent? I mean, I have like this Latin phrase on my arm that says grace alone. And so would James disagree with that? The answer is no. And what we have to understand is what you do, what you have to do is you have to imagine James and Paul both defending the same gospel, standing back to back to one another, and their arguments are consistent with one another, but they're addressing a different problem. What do I mean? Paul is speaking, when he says that, if you you look back, remember Paul is saying, for one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. He's not disagreeing with James, but Paul is speaking to a people who who think they have to become Jewish. And they have to adhere to the customs and the Jewish oral traditions in order to be saved. And what Paul is telling those people, he's saying, no, Jesus is what saves you, and all are welcome through Jesus. What James is addressing is James is addressing a people who would say, well, since Jesus welcomes us, and since Jesus you know, saves us because of what he did, we don't really have to follow him. We don't really have to believe him fully. It doesn't really have to affect the way in which we live. And James is saying, no, follow Jesus and you will become more and more like Jesus. So in that sense, faith produces good works. True faith produces good works. So what we're not saying is that your your good works save you. I don't care how good you are. Your efforts could never make you right before God. Your salvation is through Christ alone. Both James and Paul and the the New Testament would, would testify to that, would proclaim that. 
And this is why we must draw near to Christ. We bear His name because He is what matters. Draw near to Jesus. Follow Jesus. Learn about Jesus. Be mastered by Jesus. And so let your character, so how we live, what we think about, the way in which we view ethics and morality and right and wrong, that should be, that should be looked at through the lens of Jesus. So let your character be changed by him. Let your perspectives be challenged by him. The goal is to live in light of him. It all comes back to that. So my good works don't save me, but they are a diagnostic to do I have faith in Christ. Because if I'm not becoming more like Christ, that should be, you know, that should be a red flag, right? That should be a red flag. So faith in Jesus produces the good works of Jesus. And this doesn't happen in an instant. This doesn't mean you're not going to struggle. It doesn't happen without effort, but true faith produces within the Christian a new desire, right? A new desire to be close to Christ. And so my encouragement to you is just to nurture that desire. To nurture that desire. How do we do that? We do that in Christian community. We do that by, you know, confessing our sin, talking about our struggles with other believers. You know, confessing, repenting. We, we do that by studying the scriptures. Again, not to merely have intellectual knowledge, but to say, man, what does Jesus say about this or this or that? What does he say about finances and sex and marriage and life and my hobbies and what I care about? What does he say about that? How do I live in light of what he said? Nurture that new desire. And you will do good works for the right reasons. And what the Bible teaches is that you will experience the joy of the Lord. You will experience the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you, God, that you, that you change us. I pray that we wouldn't leave here um, with a new to-do list or beat up or questioning whether or not you love us, but that we would be um, encouraged and challenged. Encouraged, um, those of us that, man, yeah, like you're changing us slowly but surely. And challenged, um, those of us that have been living in just kind of a, a posture of just apathy. I don't really care. I'm just kind of going through the motions. I can kind of fit in. I can say the right words. But God, I just pray that you would, you would really birth within each of us a new desire to follow you, to know you, to be doing life the way that you have welcomed us into. And I just pray for a new joy. I pray that you would well within us a new love that we would have for other people, a love that we would have for the broken, understanding that we too are broke apart from your grace. That God, you would, this would be challenging to us. Grace doesn't mean that we can just go about sinning. No, Paul would disagree with that. So does James. I pray that God, we would look at our life and see this as a diagnostic. What does my life look like? Am I becoming more like Jesus? Is God changing me? Do I lament over my sin or am I just apathetic? And I just pray that we would wrestle with that in a good, healthy way tonight. Thank you for listening to Transformation Radio. 